there, this is Tyler Don Rosenquist, and welcome to another episode of Character in Context, but this one is going to be way different than the ones I normally do. This is actually going to be a, um, a rehashing of a private talk I gave to an organization about two months ago on how not to become a Torah terrorist, because, you know, we see the problems, and especially those of us who have been walking for longer um, keeping the Sabbaths, keeping the feasts, eating cleaner, um, all that. Um, those of us who um, are keeping a handful more commandments than mainstream Christians, okay, really not very many, but uh, maybe we're not doing as much as mainstream Christians are in the weightier matter. So, you know, after we've walked in this a while, hopefully we get kind of we figure out that we're not all that in a bag of chips. That uh, keeping the lighter commandments, um, you know, keeping the right parties and eating beef instead of pork isn't actually all that traumatic and difficult. And we start to look again at um, our mainstream Christian brothers and sisters and say, you know what? They're not, we're not an elite remnant. We're uh we see things differently. We interpret differently. Maybe we have different paradigms, different strengths, different weaknesses. But we come out of this idea that everything that was taught when we were in mainstream Christianity was wrong and it was all lies and it was all some big conspiracy theory to keep us from the truth. When, you know, the more we study, the more we see that that isn't true. Um, and we get out of the, a lot of the stuff that brought us in in the first place, you know, um, the Hislop stuff, the um, pagan everything, the sacred naming. And we come to realize that the God who was so loving and gentle and merciful with us before this, he hasn't changed. We changed. Okay. And sometimes we didn't change for the better. But I want to talk about this today. Um not becoming a Torah terrorist because it's, it's really important. And, um, I really wish that people would understand this coming in and that people who have been doing this for a while would be able to come alongside people who are new. So, you know, they don't go through that awful two plus years that most of us went through. Um, some never come out of it. Um, uh, but it, it, it's really important because if, Yeshua said, and you may call him Jesus, that um, they will know uh, we are his by our love for one another. I will tell you something that what it looks like to the outside world, and rightly, is that when people start looking at Torah, they stop loving not only their neighbors, but their brothers and sisters in Messiah who see things differently. And oftentimes, even their brothers and sisters, you know, whether they be in Hebrew roots movement or Messianic Judaism, um, interpret anything differently. And there becomes this hard line. Um, and we use ourselves as the plumb line to which, you know, everyone else is judged against us or whoever it is that's our teacher. Um, yeah, and that's very, very destructive. Very destructive. So, and it's why I wrote The Bridge, which was my first book. Um, and there's a lot of stuff in there I don't agree with anymore because, you know, we grow up, we learn more. We say, oh, I was wrong about that. I didn't really 
have the kind of um, backing that I thought I did, even though, you know, everybody was talking about it and telling me it was true. I, I drank some Kool-Aid. But the core of the book I stand by, which is we are all the same family. We are all doing our best. We have some paradigms. We all do. We, we're not all that in a bag of chips. None of us is. So it was really a reality check. Why do they do what they do? Why do, you know, we do what we do? All that kind of stuff. So this won't be a full transcript on the ancientbridge.com. Uh, it'll be, I mean, like everything I've already said is not on the transcript, but there'll be an outline if you want to see kind of, you know, where I'm going, what the problems I see. So anyway, I'm going to get to my little mini transcript. Now I, I want to talk mostly about the problems with a lot of teachings and propaganda and mantras and paradigms within the uh, Hebrew roots movement and messianic Judaism that I see causing problems. And those are kind of different and they, they don't have the same problems, but some of their problems overlap. And I'm not going to differentiate when I'm going through this. Now, one of the most important things is that people largely do not read the Bible correctly. All right. Not before they discovered Torah and, and not after because they still read it in the same way. They just place different emphasis on different areas. You know, we look at what was happening in the biblical accounts and we see things as ideals instead of descriptions. But the Bible, okay, and, you know, I was reading Sandra Richter's The Epic of Eden the other day, and she made the point that most scholars these days make is that the Bible isn't endorsing or canonizing Hebrew or Jewish culture or any other culture. And that may surprise you. Um, the Bible's always critiquing all human culture, and it shows how God is leading us out of our own worldly kingdoms into his kingdom, all right? And, you know, as we look through, you know, Judaism is also a worldly kingdom. It's not the kingdom of heaven, okay? It's not as bad as some, obviously, but it's not the perfection that we will experience in the world to come either, all right? It's it's humans looking at the Bible and doing what they feel is the best they can with it. All right. But it's not perfect. Um, you know, biblical heroes are often monsters. They, they do terrible things. We were never meant to make excuses for them when we see bad behavior in the Bible, which, you know, it, it's being a wisdom text. Okay. The Bible is a wisdom text, not a law code. That's what happened when the Greeks, well, the Hellenized Jews got a hold of it. And I include the Pharisees with that, is they started saying, well, we need this to be codified instead of just wisdom rulings. Um, you know, we're not supposed to make excuses for them, you know, whenever we see the bad behavior. You know, the text is inviting us and even demanding that we engage viscerally, very emotionally with our whole self, with the story. We aren't supposed to read it and be unmoved. Now, sometimes we will be thrilled and at other times we'll be utterly disgusted. We will have questions about things that outrage us where there are no satisfying answers given in the text. According to Yeshua, 
Moses even gave laws that were basically allowances for evil. You see that in Mark 10 with the divorce, all right? You know, we got slavery, patriarchy, and alternatives to wartime rape. And, and it's okay to react to that and even grapple with it like Jacob grappled with the angel of the Lord, and especially as women, all right? If we aren't struggling with the text, then we aren't really reading it as it was written to its ancient Near Eastern audience. And when I say especially women, I say also especially men who love women, all right, who have daughters, who have wives, who have mothers, which is everybody. <laughs> yeah, that was brilliant. Okay, so <laughs> when people are coming, when people coming to Torah aren't taught that, that the Torah is wisdom literature designed to promote critical righteous thinking and to serve really as a training manual for Israel's judges. It gets misused as a very black and white list of do's and don'ts with no discernment allowed for, you know, when to make exceptions, when to place one instruction before another, um, when one even invalidates another. Because, you know, Yahweh doesn't do what we expect. When we expect him to do one thing, he does another. When we think he should do one thing, he does another. When, you know, he'll he'll strike somebody dead for doing one thing and the other person he gives a total pass to. And he forgives people that we think shouldn't be forgiven. And he doesn't forgive people, you know... But see, he knows everything. And so we have this, we have this tiny little thing, which is why when we use the Bible, which is meant to make us wise, um, as a law code, which codifies things and leaves no room for wisdom, we're misusing the Bible. Because Yahweh doesn't, uh, adhere to the rules the way we think he should. Because he knows the background story, all right? Um, you know, obviously now we see that chattel slavery, which Moses allowed, goes specifically against commandments to love neighbor and foreigner both. You know, we're supposed to keep pushing the envelope of loving our neighbor. And, you know, we look back with gratitude that the world has come so far from the brutality of the ancient Near Eastern world of Abraham and Moses and David. You know, that a lot of these, you know, a lot of these Laws at the time were very avant-garde when, you know, they were given in terms of protecting women and children and foreigners and vulnerable and slaves. And, you know, they now horrify us because the cross has changed the way we view everything. And that is a big positive. Um, second point, everyone who has given their allegiance to Yahweh through his son, no matter what name they call him by, is our brother and sister. And if people would realize that... That would solve a lot of problems right there. You know, period. Salvation is about allegiance to Yahweh through his son, not about how much Torah we think is still in play or the names we use, the pronunciations we use. Uh, three, if you wouldn't be willing to die on the cross for someone, don't be too keen to overturn their tables. Or engage in polemic with them. A uh, polemic was Greco-Roman name-calling, okay? Because it meant something in those times that it doesn't mean now. And overturning the tables in the temple was a prophetic act that only applied to the Messiah, you know, just FYI, 
When we do it, it's just usually bad behavior and frustration that people aren't taking our word for stuff. Remember that Yeshua treated the people who didn't take his word for stuff a lot better than we do. And he was always right. And we're not. Okay. So four, don't forget your salvation. You know, and it's easy. All right. When gaining knowledge and, um, and not yet knowing out how, you know, how to figure out if it's true or not, because Torah peeps, they dish out just as much nonsense as mainstream Christians, if not more. You know, it's, it's easy when gaining knowledge to forget what we know. And what we know is the very real experience of the new creation, the very real changes in our lives after we made that decision for Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Although a lot of people scream and shout about not being saved by Torah, their words and actions say the opposite because they scribe people who are quote unquote keeping Torah, which nobody does, by the way. Um, they, um, you know, they, they equate that they say, if you're not doing it, you're not really saved. Well, that's salvation by works. And then you say, well, it's not salvation by works. It's like, yes, you're saying it is. So maybe you need to change what you're saying. Uh, number five, no one keeps Torah. Some people just keep a few more commandments than other people. And Christians are not lawless. They keep more than half. They keep 58% of what can currently be observed, which is only 42% of the 613 commandments. And uh, I, I get all this... Uh, these from a messianic rabbi, by the way, and I will, um, I will link in the transcript, you know. Um, so your average Torah observant, quote unquote, keeps only 8% more than mainstream Christians. And sadly, the mainstream Christians who are keeping those 58 are more likely to be keeping the weightier matters of the law than Torah observant peeps. So these are mantras, Torah observant and lawless, which don't apply to anyone because nobody's Torah observant, nobody's lawless. All right. And I have found that once people are aware of this, you know, that the gulf between us radically decreases. The Hebrew scriptures have multiple words for sin, you know, different levels. The lowest is chatat, meaning, you know, oops, uh, you had no idea you were sinning and it wasn't on purpose. You aren't in rebellion. The worst is Pesha, high-handed rebellion, spit in God's face while you're purposely doing something he hates, like oppressing people. Um, and there are two levels in between there. All right. Um, I'll talk about this more later, but God really does differentiate through the Torah prophets and writings. All sins are not created equal. Uh, six. Don't get prideful about the easy stuff like, oh my gosh, the horror of resting on the Sabbath and throwing the right parties and eating beef and chicken instead of pork. You know, that's why those aren't included in the Matthew 25 separation of the sheep and the goats, but caring for the vulnerable is the only criteria mentioned. Number seven. Um, so, you know, if, if, Mainstream Christians are doing that and you're keeping the feast and you're not doing that. Who's going to be the sheep and who's going to be the goats? All right. Um, it's important to keep in mind what an image bearer is and is not. 
An image bearer is quite literally a representative of God's character on the earth. The language used actually uh, makes us out to be the equivalent of ancient Near Eastern idols, Salem, uh, which we're, you know, we're supposed to be indwelt by the spirit of the deity it represented. The people saw the idol and they were supposed to remember that god or goddess. It's the things we do in public that show people God's character, right rulings, justice, righteousness, and generosity. And speaking of fruit, we have to be careful about zeal. Because holy and unholy zeal are juxtaposed in Galatians 5. When we make the grave mistake, and I think almost everyone does it, of neglecting the uh, first century writings, the New Testament, and focusing on the Torah, we can become dreadfully unbalanced and even violent in our speech, actions, and in our faces. And people can't see the love that we're to have for one another because it's been replaced by anger. And anger can grow into the wrong kind of zeal. Uh, let's look at um, those verses in Galatians 5. Now the works of, and this starts in verse 19 of Galatians 5. Uh, now the works of the flesh are obvious. This isn't the good stuff. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery. Um, and we all agree with that, right? Yeah, I mean, those are terrible. Oh. Now let's go on to the ones that don't make us so, feel so self-righteous. Hatreds. Strife. That's fighting. Jealousy. Oh, yeah. Outbursts of anger. See that on the internet a lot. Selfish ambitions. Oh, man. I even see that between ministries. Uh, it's why I, I work with a group of people and we all support each other and we all promote each other and we help each other behind the scenes. And there is no, if, if one of us is preaching on one thing, the others say, oh, okay, um, I'll preach on something else. We don't undercut each other, all right? It doesn't mean we're perfect, but man, we we guard against this. Uh, dissensions. It's just, you know, making a big point of disagreements. Factions. You know, when you've got people divided over calendars, names, whether or not you should wear masks. I mean, just things that, uh, you know, I'll tell you something. One time the Lord spoke to me uh, in his outside voice because you know, I needed to hear it. He, he he said, you know, never be separated from anyone based on anything other than Christ and him crucified. And it was a, not that I followed that afterward because I, I went and I, I was an idiot, but uh, yeah. Um, envy still. Okay. And now we're going to get into the ones, you know, drunkenness, carousing and anything similar, you know, now we're back into the ones where we can point fingers again at everybody. Um, I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah, everybody wants to quote from the, the fruit of the spirit, but that's, that one, whoa. Uh, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against these things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And I gotta tell you something. These were very, um, 
feminine. You know, they thought that acting, you know, refraining from all this made a man a wimp. I mean, not all of them with the Jews, but with the Greeks and the Romans. Yeah. Yeah. You don't be meek and everything. That's, that's, that's girly. That's what they thought. Um, eight. The three-year requirement. Um, you know, it's, it, I take it from the, um, from the fruit tree. Okay. The fruit tree, you know, you don't harvest from the fruit tree for, you know, the first three years, the fruit is uncircumcised and, um, it's only during the fifth year that you can eat of it. Okay. So I call this a three year requirement for growing new disciples too. learn, study and keep your dang mouth shut. <laughs> I wish I had. You know, people who have recently made major shifts lack the understanding to rightly divide the new information they are getting. Being a Berean cannot be accomplished by listening to YouTube videos or podcasts. You know, you don't know that I'm telling the truth here. Are just taking people's words for things. If the Bereans had just taken Paul's word for everything, they wouldn't have bothered studying. Um, nine. Anger at the church compromises our discernment and judgment. You know, they aren't wrong about everything. And in fact, they are right about most things. You know, we're so, we're, we're just blinded to what we're blinded about. You know, God opens eyes. Folks get ridiculously frustrated just because they preach and people won't believe them. It, it doesn't work that way. Um, you know, one, we have to have credibility with the people we're talking to, or they'll be stupid to just take our word for everything. And we wouldn't want our kids just taking somebody else's word for everything just because they say it, right? We need to think critically about the standards we're, we're living to and what we're actually preaching, okay? Um, you know, and also, you know, they got to be receptive to it, to what we're saying Plus, we can't be behaving like unloving jerks. So there's that. Now, speaking the truth in love is not done with a club or a machete. Uh, Proverbs 28.9. Anyone who turns his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer is detestable. Now, this one gets abused a lot. I mean, hardly anyone would turn their ear from hearing Torah. The only question is, how much has a person been conditioned to believe is still in play? is still authoritative. This isn't about rebellion. It's about blindness. And goodness knows we are all blind. Or is that just me? <laughs> right. Um, number 10. And this one's going to make people, some people really angry. Really angry. Um, Hebrew is not a unique language. Um, it's very similar to many other languages of that region in antiquity. Um, the idea of pure re returning to a pure tongue being returning to Hebrew uh, is rabbinic and much later than biblical times. All right. Because um, pure tongue might just be we're not being jerks anymore with how we talk and we're only telling the truth. Okay. Um also, um, Paleo-Hebrew isn't a secret language. It's a font like Times New Roman or, you know, Calibri or however you pronounce that. The one I always use. This whole idea about the pictographs 
having meaning was created like within the last hundred years because it took archaeologists a while to even figure out that it was Hebrew after they first found it in 1870. And at first they, you know, they actually believed it was Phoenician. But the pictures were typical of the early origins of language and represented sounds and not concepts. This means that there are no ancient documents describing any such language or the meanings as the font, you know, went out of use in the uh, 5th century uh, BCE and when the Aramaic language came to be used more and more. Um, you know, people make whole ministries of, um, what is it, bioagro-linguistic. I'll be back in uh, just a minute. It's very possible <laughs> that I ended that at the point where people are going to stop listening to me some because I know, you know, I'm going to be getting into some stuff that's, um, sorry, I'm moving my chair around, that's very popular, but there's no scholarly backing whatsoever. And a lot of times the stuff was made up about a hundred years ago. It's all theory, conjecture. There's absolutely no archaeological or, um, any sort of evidence that, you know, things were ever seen this way or done this way. And a lot of times there's proof that there wasn't. I know people feel very, very passionate about certain things, but we have to look at the fruit of them. Are they really, um, are they helping people come together in unity in the body? Are we serving our fellow man or is it just brain candy that serves to be divisive and generally it's the latter okay and sometimes these are just incredible hoaxes um people are making a lot of money off of it um paleo hebrew is a big problem and i do not know of any linguist any um legitimate linguist with an education who um isn't just calling themselves a scholar it's like you know, I'm not a scholar, all right? I read what scholars write, and I teach about it. But I myself am not a scholar, because being a scholar means you're doing research, it's peer-reviewed, you've got people who um, are in the same field who are evaluating what you're doing and, you know, um, knocking it out if it's bogus and with the agrobiolinguistics, the Paleo-Hebrew um, word pictures, that just has no basis in anything. It's a theory. And um, in the transcript, I'm going to link uh, an excellent video by Dr. Michael Brown, who is uh, ancient Near Eastern languages expert linguist. He is a Messianic Jew. Um, definitely give him a hearing. Uh, oh, gosh. You know, a lot of times we're just romantic about things that really don't matter. And and one of the big problems with Paleo-Hebrew is it doesn't work. If it was real, it would work for every single word. 
and the whole Olive Tov thing. That's another thing. It, um, it sounds really good, but when you look at it in context and everything, it, it, it absolutely falls apart. All right. Um, so number 11, calendars and names. And I think there are like five or six biblical calendars out there. And I know a guy who is actually, I mean, not in real life, but on the internet, who has actually preached all of them and has condemned as damned and stupid, you know, those on any other calendar than the one he's on right now. All right. First, he was on rabbinic and then first sliver. And this was about 10 years ago. And, you know, he beat people to death with it, still does. And then some folks preached Dark Moon Conjunction to him, and he was all over that and yelling at the people who were on the same first liver that he was on. Um, then he was Lunar Sabbath, and again, yelling at all the other people. And then the Jubilees, Jubilees calendar, and now he's teaching the Enoch calendar. All right? And he isn't the slightest bit humbled by how many times he's been wrong by his own estimation. He always thinks, now I've got it, and he is far from alone. Um, same thing with names. I don't even know how many names are floating uh, around out there. I don't want to know. Um, then there are the people who tell you... Oh, and you know who doesn't argue about the pronunciation of the name? Actual scholars and linguists. They don't. They don't argue about it. <laughs> they they use um, it in their books, uh, in scholarly commentaries and everything. And all scholars use the same one. And I'm not going to go into which one that is right now because I just don't want to go there. Um, but uh, it's only people on the fringes and on the outside who debate this and who watch YouTube videos telling them why something's going on, but I am not aware of any actually educated in the field people who argue about this. Um, so there are also people who tell you that if you don't say the name exactly right, then your prayers won't be heard. Um, but that's a doctrine um, right out of ancient magic beliefs. The idea that if you say the name just so that you can control the god or goddess or demon and they have to hear and obey you. Um, I've even heard that it, it taught that if you're using Jesus, that any miracles you receive are from the devil and not from God. That he allowed the miracles to happen, but he didn't authorize them. And well, I'll tell you something. Those people are wrong. Then it's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Because they're attributing what is of God to what is of uh, Satan. All right? That's saying that the, the Holy Spirit is actually an evil spirit. That's that's what that is. Um, and yet people will say, well, no, no, no. We're not saying we control God if we say the name correctly. And I'm, I'm going, well, that's not what you think you're saying. But that actually is what you're saying, is that he's too stupid to know you're talking about him if you don't have internet access to whatever video is telling you what the proper pronunciation is. And I don't serve a God who is so nitpicky that he would damn people to hell just for improper pronunciation. That's, that's right out of ancient magic. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you read the... Um, is it the Epic of uh, Isis and Ra? 
Isis tricks Ra into telling her his actual name because it's not Ra. You know, they don't know, you know, it, but once she knows his real name that they don't give in the thing because they don't want everybody doing it, um, she can make him do whatever he wants. That's where that comes from. Uh, 12. All right. This is going to be hard for some people to hear. A lot of what is taught by the Hebrew Roots Movement and Messianic Judaism is simply not true, but passionately held as though it is scripture. And I have shamefully taught some of it myself, saying that I'd done my homework, but I actually hadn't. Thank you, YouTube videos. There's a pastor YouTube and Rabbi Google is where I got my information from. And some very, very old propaganda pamphlets um, republished as books that were discredited then and discredited now. Um, Hislop, Two Babylons, Lou White, Fossilized Customs, Richard Rives, Too Long in the Sun. Um, that one is especially misleading. And I've done a series of blog posts using actual archaeology to show why so much of that is wrong. Um, genetic hierarchies. Um, that, um, yeah, some people will not listen to a Gentile teach or preach because they think they have to listen to a Jew. They think that if they have 2% Jewish blood that that makes them special. But it doesn't. The kingdom is not about genetics. It's about loyalty. It's always been about loyalties. Genetics was about Yahweh narrowing humanity down to the descendants of Abraham through Jacob and then Judah and then David for the, for the birth of the Messiah. All right. That's what all that was about. Um, that's when the, the genetic factor ended. Now, it's, uh, and that's what it was for. Now, it's anyone who gives their loyalty to Yahweh, all right, however he determines that loyalty needs to be given, which I believe is through his son, Yeshua, as his only mediator. That's, you know, where I am. Um, it doesn't matter. You know, you're not going to learn more from sitting under the tutelage of someone who is Jewish, who just picked up a Bible, you know, yesterday and has never really studied, but is just, you know, going off the top of their head, then you will from somebody who is a Gentile who's been teaching the Bible for 50 years. I mean, it's just duh. All right. God is no respecter of persons. It's clear about that in Acts 10. All right. But people are respecters of persons. That's worldly. All right. Uh, patriarchy. Um, the idea that that's an ideal. No, that's how things were when God injected himself into, um, you know, the human reality, um, through the Exodus and through, through Sinai. That's how they were living. That wasn't how God told them to live. Okay. Um, you know, um, <laughs> sorry, it's, I've been having trouble with my, um, anomia lately i have um <laughs> anomic aphasia and uh, i lose words and i can't for the life of me remember what they are and right now this talking about it's a workaround until i uh figure out what i was going to say <laughs> um so 
you know, we've got all these things. We've got every hierarchy in existence, okay, on this earth is the result of the curses in the garden. Okay, the consequences. Don't say curses, uh, consequences. And those were all undone at uh, at the cross, right? Except for patriarchy? No. Okay. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times Paul was writing to very to specific situations where women hadn't been allowed to be educated and they weren't even, you know, they weren't allowed to even sit and listen. And uh, Paul had to teach people how to be respectful and law-abiding while not um, compromising the gospel, to be a good witness. And so when we take those situations, cherry pick them and say, well, this is how it's supposed to be forever. Well, then how do we get rid of slavery? All right. Paul never said, you know, no one ever said, get rid of your slaves. But if we love people, we don't do that to them. We don't enslave them. All right. Um, people talk a lot about uh, Hebraic versus Greek understanding without actually understanding what that is. And they look in the Bible and they say, well, everything in the Bible is Hebraic. No, <laughs> no, you know, I mean, um, by the time first century rolled around, um, Judaism was Hellenized, you know, it still is Hellenized. And a lot of what is going on in the old Testament isn't so much Hebraic as ancient near Eastern. It was the way that everyone thought it wasn't unique. It wasn't unique. Um, you know, got the dyadic social identity and all that stuff that I teach about. Uh, it's, it was the context of their culture. It wasn't God's ideal. All right. But sometimes people say, well, that's the way we're supposed to live. Well, why? Okay. That's not the point of the Bible wasn't for God to say, put a stamp on a certain human culture and say, this is how I want you to live forever. We're supposed to do better than that because we know how badly they screwed up. All right. Oh, gosh. Um, Christmas and Easter. All the mythology about the urban legends about that. And people divide from their families based on what they think is accurate information that I accidentally found out is not because I was actually studying Babylonian and Egyptian and Hittite and Canaanite and all that religion for, you know, years. And it's like, oh, wow, none of that's in there. Okay. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. Um, marriages are in crisis because not, you know, people aren't honoring their vows to, to love their spouse when their spouse never changed. Okay. If you come to Torah and it's like, oh, I, I'm doing this. They don't get it yet. I can leave them. No, you promise to love, honor, and, you know, cherish them in a covenant between, with them and God. And they didn't change. You changed. And you're angry that they're not changing too. Looks like God's working on you. All right. And, you know, so we get all these memes, we get them filled with urban legends, lies and outright propaganda from nonsense books and teachings that get aimed at Christians over Christmas and Easter, but that they aren't founded on one iota of archaeological evidence. And I'm going to name names here. Hislop's Two Babylons, Lou White's Fossilized Customs, Richard Rives' Too Long in the Sun. I think I actually already mentioned them. Um... But people made a lot of money writing the books that weren't researched or documented or footnoted. And sometimes when there are footnotes, they just refer to other books with no footnotes. Or in the case of Two Babylons, the footnotes don't say what he says in, you know, the, the information doesn't say what's actually in the book. Okay. 
there's a reason why people who really seriously study don't teach this sort of thing and why so many ministries have quietly removed these teachings from their repertoire without admitting why. All right. But they should be admitting why we need to say, I blew it. Um, this is, this is destructive. This is damaging people. And it's not true. All right. Uh, 13 pagan versus what is pagan versus what is cultural. And this is a biggie. There's a huge difference between something being idolatrous, which is actually bowing down to and serving another God on purpose and giving that God credit for the works of Yahweh and something that's simply cultural. Perfumed oil was placed on the head and feet of idols. It was also done to Yeshua. Does that endorse pag paganism? Um, the Egyptian tree of life was the acacia tree. Does this mean that the paneling in the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant was pagan? For that matter, uh, the Egyptians also had a portable shrine that looked a lot like the Ark. The ancient world also served their gods with sacrifices, unleavened bread, and hymn singing. Um, we, we have evidence specifically that um, Ishtar, that um, the baking cakes to the Queen of Heaven, that was unleavened bread. <gasps> Is unleavened bread pagan? No, it's cultural. Um, why were they also done for Yahweh? Because um, they're cultural ways of honoring the divine. It's what you do with them that decides whether or not they're idolatrous and really who you do them to and why. Um, 14. Fake names. Um, hurting and angering the Jewish community by pretending to be Jewish and behaving badly online and putting them in danger of being hated even more. <sighs> There is nothing to be gained in denying who we were when we came to faith and putting on what amounts to heirs. All right. And it is a real point of contention with other Christians who see it as ridiculous and cultish. Our identity is in Christ. Look, if Apollos and Junia of all people didn't change their names when they were named after a false god and false goddess respectively, then why do we feel like we need to do it? We can have no greater identity than we have in Messiah. You know, it took me a long year, a lot of years to learn that I wasn't a second class citizen. And I even wrote my second book about it, King Kingdom Citizen. It's about proving that our standing is exactly on par with Jews who are believers in Yeshua. Okay. Um, and also when you have a fake name, there's no accountability. And you can do whatever you want. I mean, there's this guy. And he's a con artist. He's been going around for years pretending to be a rabbi. He, um, fake name, you know, all that stuff. It's, it's maddening. Okay. 15. Don't call people unclean as an insult. We all have corpse impurity, people. Everyone. Everyone. And all it meant was that you couldn't go within a certain distance of the temple or city and unclean animals are only unclean as corpses or for food, which, you know, requires them being corpses. Um, you know, we can ride unclean animals. We can have them as pets. We can have pigs on the farm to deal with trash and all that. Everything is clean for something or another. Clean just means in its proper place or proper state. Um, a lot of things we shouldn't call people. You shouldn't call people Pharisees. You call... Most people just don't even understand what they're calling. Uh, uh, 
whitewashed tombs, you know, that kind of stuff. Why do we call names anyway? It's like, use your arguments, people, not the insults. It's, it's, yeah. Okay. Anyway, 16, bad scholarship. If you can't ask questions of someone, then don't listen to them. If they won't give you your sources, their sources, um, then what they're telling you can't be credited as truth. Just because something shocked you or gave you a warm, fuzzy feeling doesn't make it correct. We have all been misled by our emotions and our body reactions to these emotions, okay? It's rarely the Holy Spirit endorsing something we hear. And, uh, you know, we've all been wrong so many times. We ought to be a whole lot more humble about how readily we are deceived and how it's not God's responsibility to um, tell us who is lying and, and who's telling the truth. I mean, he he expects us to trust him and not people. I don't want you guys to trust me. Good grief. I mean, I've been wrong about stuff. You, if you've read my books, you know that I've been wrong about stuff. All right. You know that I've changed. You know that I had to revise my first book because I put the, uh, I put a reference of the Hislip stuff in there. It was only one paragraph, but still it was very destructive stuff. It's bad fruit. Ugh. And, uh, <clears throat> okay. 17 genealogies and pointless arguments, you know, um, Titus 3 9. But avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law because they are unprofitable and work worthless. Reject a divisive person after the first or second warning. But hey, these divisive people, they're fun to listen to on YouTube, aren't they? They have big ministries. They get invited to go speak. They uh, drive wedges between people based on, you know, this um, pagan everything and the shape of the earth and the name and the calendars. And they give people a false, um, or they, they, they tell you that, you know, if you become Jewish, then you're more acceptable to God. Um, and instead of being, you know, rejecting them and giving them a first or second warning, you know, we keep tuning in every week because it's so entertaining to watch someone ranting and raving because it makes us feel like we are some sort of elite remnant. But really, this person is appealing to our flesh, our fleshly desires to be a special remnant, uh, peculiar people. We're peculiar people, all right, but just not in the right way. Um, You know, who we listen to tells us who we are, you know. And if they're insulting everyone who disagrees with them instead of actually engaging in conversation, you know, that's bad fruit right there. Uh, 18, this is my final bullet point here. Truth is that we need to be looking out for people more than we do. All right. In congregations, it's easier. Um, and we mustn't dare to be so afraid of confrontation that we are unwilling to have a pretty short leash on the people who are new. We need to remove this false idea that they're expected to produce ministerial fruit right away. And that's very counter to how churches are, have been traditionally run. You know, we love those new people because they're so excited and energetic, but they're also 
foolish <laughs> because they don't have the experience, they don't have the years under their belt to um, have gained wisdom about the fact that there's a lot of voices out there and a lot of them are not as educated as they appear to be. They don't walk the walk they claim to be walking. They, uh, they don't really, a lot of times they just, they're just angry people who have a YouTube channel or who have a platform and they're making waves by being outrageous or inspiring outrage and anger and division. You know, they're, they're, they're babes. And so, you know, they're still going to be, um, just as drawn by the things of the world as they were before they got saved. It takes a long time and some people never get up, get out of that. Um, so, you know, they're not foolish meaning stupid. All right. But they're just lacking wisdom and perspective. The Old Testament definition of a fool is someone who doesn't understand their place. And the place of a new student isn't to go out trying to teach the world. And that causes so many problems with people coming out of mainstream churches and into more awareness of the Torah because the Torah isn't easy. And when we aren't... We need Yeshua to understand the Torah more than we need the Torah to understand Yeshua. And I'm going to say that right now. And that is something that a lot of people suffer with. A lot of people don't get causes a lot of problem because they say, well, you can't understand Yeshua without understanding the Torah. Well, you can't understand Yeshua completely without having a knowledge of the complete Old Testament, the complete Tanakh, all of it. All right. But that doesn't mean that you can't understand um, enough that you can live a righteous life and live a kingdom-filled kingdom life. Anyway, uh, that's it for this week. I'll talk to you next time.